Are you ready to start being visible? Well, you have come to the right place. Welcome to the Start Being Visible podcast. My name is Mildred Talabi. I've spent most of my working life mastering the art of personal branding in my career as a former journalist and communications professional and in my business, which has taken on various forms over the years. I now spend my time championing and coaching women to increase their influence, income and impact through being visible on platforms like LinkedIn and beyond. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you my insights into the journey to be invisible, as well as bringing you amazing, candid conversations with female leaders who have chosen to step out of the shadows and into the limelight in their work lives. Now, I want you to hit the subscribe button and get ready to start your own journey to be invisible with today's episode. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Start Being Visible podcast with me, Mildred Talabi. Now, I am so excited to bring with you today an incredible woman who is going to teach us a lot. We're going to learn a lot from her because she is an established businesswoman who has done lots of amazing things that we're going to cover in this conversation. And I want you to take notes. I want you to pay close attention and I want you to pick up everything that she's got to share for us today and with us today. So my guest in today's session is Joanna Jensen. Now, Joanna Jensen is the founder of Child's Farm, and she is the one of the UK's most successful female entrepreneurs. Now, if you haven't heard of Child's Farm, it is a brand that provides natural, sustainably sourced, sensitive skincare products for children and babies. Now, the, the brand launched into the mainstream retailers in 2014 and quickly became the UK's fastest growing baby and child personal care brand and the market leader in the space, winning multiple awards along the way. So Joanna grew the brand and the business to many millions. And in 2022, she sold the majority shareholding of Child's Farms to PZ Cousins, a British company. And she currently retains a stake in the company and continues to work there as a brand ambassador. But really, what I want to know from Joanna is what does she do with her time now that she's (laughs) retired herself (laughs) from her business? Welcome to the show, Joanna. Oh, so lovely, Mildred. Thank you for having me. And so nice to see you again. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have you. You're going to go around as my personal, you know, in, in the old days, they used to have someone who announced things, you know, the town crier. Can you be my permanent town crier and say such gorgeous things about me wherever I go? <laughs> Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. And it's all true. It's all amazing, true stuff. So um, you are incredibly inspirational. And as you mentioned, we met when you and I were on a panel for an event um, earlier on this year. And I remember you saying um, at the time, because the event was about female entrepreneurship and women in business. And you said, and you shared your incredible story. And you're like, the thing that I found is that women are not beating down my doors to ask me for advice and all of that. 
you know, and I was like, right, I am absolutely going to beat down your door because there is a lot that we can learn from you and a lot that you can share with us. So um, I'm excited to have you on this podcast today. Thank you. (laughs) So Joanna, where I want to start really is take us back to the beginning because we want to go into how you built Child's Farm and, and all of that. But take us back to the beginning in terms of your, as a little girl, did you have imagination? Did you sit there thinking, when I grow up, I am going to build an empire, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to absolutely change the lives of loads of parents and children everywhere with my business? Or did you have other plans in mind? Do you know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to either be a vet because I loved ponies or I wanted to be an actress because I was just you know, I love being the centre of attention. (laughs) And obviously I did neither of them, but what I was good at was recognising things that people needed. And so my grandparents were antiques dealers and so they had a shop. So when I was about 13, 14, I used to sell, you remember FIMO, you made little things out of it and I made little FIMO pigs. Mm -hmm. And I remember I used to make, I used to put little gold safety pins through their snouts and I'd make punk pigs. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'd sell those there and I did, Oh, I did everything. I did French polishing. Any because I thought, well, they they're, they're antique dealers. They need stuff done. I'll learn how to do it. And they had Trevor in the back barn who used to do all their repairs, and he taught me how to French polish furniture. And so I always had in my mindset, and I think it was drilled into them by my into me by my grandparents as well. Just find out what people want and what people need, and deliver it to them. I was also incredibly impatient. And, you know, I just, I wasn't very good at working for companies because I would just think, why are you doing it like that? If you do it like this, it's going to be so much quicker and much more efficient. But big companies just do big company way, don't they? So it was just as well. I worked, I set up the business and worked for myself because by that stage, I would have probably been arrested (laughs) being silly or rude or naughty or whatever. (laughs) Okay, so you, you had, it sounds like you... You were pretty much a go-getter from a young age, is that correct? The grass didn't grow onto my feet, let's put it that way. I was <laughs> always on the move. And actually, my youngest daughter is exactly the same. You know, mm-hmm. up with the lark, you know, just full-on days. And then she still sleeps a bit like a puppy, but, you know, she's <laughs> she's very similar to me in this sort of seemingly endless energy. Mm, I love that. So... You've got this all this energy. So in the beginning, you're doing all of these different things and you're experimenting. When did it, in fact, before I asked you about when it became serious for you, I, I heard you say somewhere, right, that when you were at school, you were considered the least likely to succeed and the most likely to end up in prison. Were you a terror? <laughs> Do you know, I was, t- I had, apparently I had no respect for male authority, which in the 80s, of course, was the only authority that really was going. And I just, you know, I was always at school, we had something called gating. And I was at boarding school, so it meant that if you were really naughty, at the weekend, you had to go and someone had to sign your gating every hour on the hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it meant you just had a really boring weekend. And... I used to get it signed, arrange for a taxi to take me and a friend to the local little chef 
have a little chef breakfast, smoke half packet of fags, then get back in the taxi, spray ourselves with shore deodorant, eat half packet of polos, and then get my gating signed an hour later and think no one would know that I'd just been out and smoked half packet of fags. And they just, I think they just turned a blind eye. But I had, I had, in my last two years of school, I had two weekends when I wasn't gated, which Mm. I think just shows how naughty I was. It was just, you know, it was just kind of, I was, it was this impatience. It was this wanting to get on with stuff. And, and I didn't really think I wanted to go to university. So I actually didn't get around to filling in my, what was then called an UCA form. And Mm. I didn't get around to filling it in. And I just, you know, I just wanted to get a job, mm-hmm. which sounds really weird, but I just wanted to get on and get a job. So I started working when I was 18 and didn't stop. Mm. I was really naughty. I mean, anyone, mm-hmm. you know, anyone that was going to have a fag behind the bike shows, it was me. You know, I just, just really, really, you know, I had to cut all my hair off. I was covered in jewellery. Mm-hmm. You know, I just sort of, I sort of looked weird I think (laughs) I didn't look like everyone else I just Mm -hmm. kind of wanted to be a bit different I wanted to stand out and I stood out for all the wrong reasons yes I I can totally understand I I wasn't naughty but I get the whole thing of wanting to come out of school and get into real life you know and just start your life um see I know that I think and how old and you can tell me exactly how old it was but I know your parents separated because you mentioned you had issue was issues with male authority and I know your parents divorced when you were young about yeah, how I, was, young were I you? think I was about 18 months oh okay so it was really it was, very young it was in 1971 nobody nobody got divorced in the early 70s and it was very unusual and there wasn't a man in our household. I was very close to my grandfather, but, you know, I had a very dominating mother. Mm. And so, you know, it was, we were a very loud family. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. So, so you, so your dad was never around and by family, is it, so it's your mum, you, and you have a sister, right? And I've got one full sister and I've actually got a half sister. Um, and so, but it was just the three of us growing up and mum worked full time. She mm-hmm. worked for the NHS and, um, you know, she didn't want to work full time. She wanted to be looking after her children. And so mm-hmm. we sort of, our grandparents live locally to us. So they were fantastic. Um, she had amazing friends that helped support us, but it was, a, it was a, you know, the seventies was, was, it was very unusual for people to be separated, for people to be divorced. Mm-hmm. And, you know, socially, she got dropped like a hot coal because, you know, then you were suddenly a threat. And Mm -hmm. she had some very, very, very strong opinions that she just didn't care. She just shared every thought that went through her head Mm -hmm. with us. I think we we were sort of somewhat, um, you know, bra burning um, in our opinions when we were younger. Um, mm. and, but fortunately, we were. I mean, again, she encouraged us to think for ourselves. So it's not like we just sort of took her doctrine and repeated it like sort of little canaries. We did actually think for ourselves and we're encouraged to. Um, mm. but a bit, you know, if, during the holidays, we never saw her. We would be, you know, we'd leave home at sort of after breakfast on our bikes and come home in time for dinner. Mm. That's how it how it was, and you just did your own thing, and we fended for ourselves. We found lunch through at friends or you know wherever we happened to be, and that's you, we were much more. We were just more self reliant then. Mm. 
independent yeah Mm. independent we weren't concerned about you know oh what if what if and I had to say that is something that I I have for my children and I'm a great believer in letting them just go on and discover on their own I've never wrapped them up in cotton wool and if they wanted to play date I'd say I'm really busy you're gonna have to sort it yourself (laughs) you know and if you know if I can't drop them off somewhere I'll say well it's only a 30 minute cycle off you go don't forget to wear your hat oh my god <laughs> this is so I'm reading two fantastically talented, mm-hmm. self-sufficient young girls, which is, you know, what we should be doing. We 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 mm-hmm. are, I think as a generation, as a parental generation, we've become very we've become very overwhelmingly concerned about the welfare of our children. And in fact, they're much more capable mm-hmm. than you can. I mean, my kids have been getting trains to London on their own since they were about 12, 13. Mm-hmm. And wow. they know where they are. I mean, I've got one of those things on their phone, so I know where they are at any given time. But if you don't, you know, if you don't challenge them to be independent, how are you? How are they ever going to be independent? Yes, um, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, you know, people are probably thinking, oh, my <laughs> God, it's awful to be arrested and locked no, up. No, no, do you know what I'm thinking, Joanna? Because I've got two daughters as well, but they're, they're younger. They're a lot younger. They are seven and eight. And they're like, they're at those places where, like, when I take them to school, the school gate is... I don't know, a minute walk from the car park. They're like, Mom, can you let us walk by ourselves from here, please? I'm like, just just wait a minute, let me park and I'm going to walk with you. So I'm a bit like horrified at the thought of letting them... Walk to the Cut the cord, cut the cord, let them be themselves and let them feel independent. Do you know the other thing is that I've discovered as well is um if you are quite if you if you if you allow them to think for themselves, you allow debate and mm-hmm. you don't rule them with an iron fist. They tell you everything. Mm. And my children are brilliant. They tell me absolutely everything, probably too much, actually. Sometimes I just think, I don't really want to know that, but thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, and yet I know so many friends whose children tell them nothing. And mm. so what they do, because they're so frightened of saying something to upset the parents, they lie to them. Mm. So what they've actually done is encourage these children to lie to them. And it's really hard. I mean, I was talking to something with um, uh, one of the teachers at uh, at the girls' school and and I said, oh, well, this and this and this. And they just sort of said, you, you, you've you no idea. Your children tell you absolutely everything. She, she said, I can name on one hand the amount of kids here who's who tell their parents everything mm-hmm. um and wow. it's not because they're it's it's they they're, they're just open because we've always been we've always encouraged openness and we've never we've never jumped on their throats if they've done something wrong we've said okay so so why did you why did you do that what was the logic behind that um and yeah god of course i shout at my children but i mean mm-hmm. you know they're teenagers for god's sake i mean <laughs> Um, but you know it's kind of trying to work out the logic I mean my youngest has got ADHD so that has needs that approach which is okay so I can understand why you've done that but you know maybe next time can we take a breath and just think okay I can say this but what's going to be the impact of my words Mm. and Mm. and and so we we try to coach them as much as possible but as I say I you know everyone we're all parents we do lose our shit with our children at times when they've done something heinous and, mm. and it's perfectly normal it is perfectly normal and you know we're running businesses we're working hard we're under stress you know I'm looking after an elderly parent you know all of these things mount up and that is the pressure of, of, of life but what mm. we need to do is make sure that we 
enjoy the joy of life too mm. and kids love it we used to put on plays we used to write plays when we were in our teens mm. the village hall I think we were just a bit weird actually no I love that I love that because that outcome that you've you say that you've achieved with your children and then being open and telling you everything that I guess that's the that's the outcome most parents are going for right myself included so it's just all figuring out the right approach the right balance of protectiveness versus independence is can be tricky you know I, I grew up with a, in a very strict household <laughs> I, I wasn't even allowed to go to Oxford Street myself on my own until I was well I wasn't allowed when I was 18 is the first time I went on my own to Oxford Street in London from like East London where I lived because my parents used to make us watch Crime Watch all the time and tell us about all the dangers that were out there so it is it is that's already given me some interesting um food for thought you know and on the parent in front um so okay so so you've got all of these ideas and you're you're growing up pretty much independent in a sense because your mom gave you all this freedom so how did you then make that important decision of what do I want to do with my life because I know you later went into investment banking how did you arrive in to that destination well every career I've had has been by accident Mm-hmm. So I've never, I was never one of those people that said, you know, I've got to do this and I'm going to work my butt off because this is what I want to achieve. I, I, my first job was as an estate agent. I was temping there. They offered me a permanent job. I then met a boy and I went to go and live in Hong Kong and I thought, oh, I need to get a job. And I read all of his books about banking and I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. So I went and got a job in investment banking and I carried on doing that for ages until I came up with the idea of Child's Farm when I was 40. And and I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And at the time, I was uh, renting out rooms in our house as a and b and we had a wedding barn as well. And I was, had a lot of horses. And I thought, I need to have a proper job. What is that going to be? And I came up with the idea of Child's Farm simply because Bella had been born with really bad eczema and I couldn't find anything to treat her skin that I hadn't had when I was a child. And I just thought, this is this is a bit rubbish. And um, so I never had a plan. I fell into things. But, you know, I think, you know, even Charles Farm, I didn't have a business plan when I set it up. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how much everything was going to cost. And I just sort of made it up, made it up on the hoof. But I kind of, I took this view, if, if it works for my kids and it works for their friends... It's got to work for everybody else. And there must be people like me who've got a child with atopic eczema who are really struggling. And and I just thought, well, there must be other people like me. And and unbeknown to me, that is exactly how some of these best brands are created, is from a need. Mm. And and I was doing, I'm part of a, an advisor to an amazing group called Buy Women Built. And this is all female founded brands. Mm-hmm. And 99% of them have set up their businesses because of a personal need. So that's that's what us us women tend to do. We we look out there and we think, we don't, I need this. I need something that does that for me. And that's how we come up with the ideas. Um mm. Yeah, so, but I also think, and I say this to young people all the time, young people, um, <laughs> is, is that, you know, when you're in your 20s, I read, a, I read a LinkedIn post a year or so ago. It was a 27-year-old girl saying, 
I feel I'm a failure. It's my birthday. I don't have my own business. I don't own my own home. I'm still renting a room off something. You know, I feel absolutely hopeless. And I wrote to her and I said, at 27, you know, I just started my first job in investment banking. You know, looking back, I, I was having fun. I was going out and seeing my mates. Yes, I was in Hong Kong. So we were just doing the most incredible things. But, you know, I was having fun. I wasn't having a career. It didn't occur to me to have a career till probably five years later. And suddenly I thought, oh, I better get my shit together. But why are we putting so much pressure on everyone, mm-hmm. these young people, to 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 have these things which are all made up anyhow? LinkedIn's getting as bad as, as Instagram mm-hmm. about made up nonsense. I mean, it's mm-hmm. meant to be a way that you can talk about business. I mean, I just it's 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 personal advertising as far as I can work out. And and it's not fair. These we have got this this vision for the young now that is unattainable because it's not real. Mm, I hear and, you. Yeah, and it's, it's driving me absolutely dotty. And we've got to change this because you know. And then they're just you know they start watching Instagram or whatever, and and they get more and more of unattainable rubbish on there because. The stuff you read on there is absolute nonsense. It's about self-promotion. It's about mm. selling stuff, isn't it? Mm. Mm. And, and it's it's not it's not fair. So we've got to keep we've got to keep our young grounded. And I think pre-internet and pre-phones and all the rest of it, which was most of my young adult life. I mean, I didn't get a mobile phone till I was twenty-four or something, and I have you know it's the size of a small house. <laughs> 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 I remember those <laughs> the bricks we used to call them. <laughs> the bricks. My first job, which was my first job in Hong Kong, which was working for Natmos Markets. I it was a temping job, and I did it for about six months. And at the end of it, somebody said to me, "You know, you're you're really good about keeping up with things, especially as you don't use your email." And I went, "What do you mean?" And they said, you're, "You've never replied to any one of the emails I sent you." And I went, "I've got email." <laughs> No one had told me I had email and I had an email address. So I then went to my next job. And my first day there, someone had to show me how to use email. My first day there, it took me four hours to compose an email to a friend of mine that was who worked for the same company, but in New York. And it was basically, the, the, the email was, hi, Alistair, hope you're well. You'll never guess, but I'm working at WI Card 2 in the Hong Kong <laughs> office. It would be lovely to see you next time you're over. Love, Joanna. <laughs> I mean, four hours to compose wow. it. I didn't know what you were meant to write on an email. Mm, I mean, it you. was... I mean, it was pathetic in hindsight, but and now you use email like a sort of kind of conversation. Or my girls, do yours do this? Do you do yours have phone or access to a phone? They they do, but it's limited access. So like when when I upgrade my phones, I give them like my old ones, so they've got internet access, but they don't have ringing access or text messaging or anything like that. So yeah, well, like, just just you, you wait. Know? Because <laughs> they talk to you like this. Hi, mom, send. Um, you okay, send. I just wanted to tell you, send. So you just, you're sitting in a meeting and my my text message quacks like a duck. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like there's an invasion of hostile ducks in the room. And you get about 
25 word texts and 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 you just sort of going pick up the phone call me yeah put it all in one compile it all in one message it's always nonsense it's kind of it's it's always nonsense it's sort of like have you seen my you know a delete or you know cross out or delete socks knickers jodhpurs Mm-hmm. you know school bag whatever it is it's just it's just it's just bollocks most of the time and and the thing is and you mentioned something interesting about how you know like the 27 year old that you spoke about and that whole pressure to be yeah. and succeed and all of that um I, I I'll confess to you when I turned 30 um I'm now 40 when I turned 30 um a decade ago I actually cried <laughs> you know I, I cried I did I did and the reason I cried was because I had all of these things that I wanted to have achieved by the time I was 30 and I could barely tick off any of them off the list so it was that whole feeling of like oh my god I've failed you know I'm like I'm not where I'm supposed to be in life you know so I got over that eventually, it took a while, but how have you kind of stopped yourself from, I don't know, experiencing feelings like that? Or have you always felt like you are where you're supposed to be? Did you not have like goals of, I want to earn this much, I want to be this person, have this kind of life? Or what, what kind of thought process goes through your mind as you go along life? Oh, wow. I've never had, I've never had material goals or earn this by whatever. I have, the goals are, um, you know, being fit, being healthy, being happy. Um, Yes, having a roof over our heads. But as you get older as well, I think there's two changes in life. One is having children and Mm. suddenly it's less about you and it's all about them. And you just want to know that you've got whatever it is they need to thrive and survive. And then secondly, as as you get older and your parents get older, and as I mentioned before, my mother's got dementia, she's got vascular dementia and she's got Alzheimer's. And this is watching somebody who was very active, very fun, very determined, very bossy, uh, um, a force of nature become a facsimile of herself. She is is the same person on the outside, but inside she's very, very different and she's very angry and she's very sad and she's very frustrated. She is not my mother anymore. She is someone masquerading as her. Mm-hmm. And you realise that when you leave this planet, you take nothing with you, but you leave all the things that you've achieved. I don't, I don't see there is any value in having material gains other than ensuring that you can stay warm, you can be fed, you know, stuff creates nothing. I mean, what you leave it behind and you just leave someone else all your stuff and they just say, oh, I don't want their stuff. Um, I, I think as I got older as well, you realise how fragile life is and that you've got to make the best out of it and you've got to have the most fun and the most joy that you can have out of life. And, you know, we're going through a stage, they say, they say when you're in your 60s, it's, they call it Sniper Alley. <laughs> and a lot of our friends are in their 60s and a lot of our friends are dying. And, mm. and, and you know, the usual culprit, of course, is cancer. Um, and it really makes you think about your three school years and 10, what you're here to do. And and so for me, 
my life is about legacy and what can I leave behind that encourages my children to be better people, more rounded people, more giving people, more, more philanthropic, whatever it is. You know, yes, you know, I, I work my ass off and I've got financial benefit from them. I'm not naive to that at all. And I lived a, a vast amount of my working life, the last, certainly the last 12 years, hand to mouth. And, you know, cash was very tight and bringing up two girls on my own was really, really tough. Um, but always at the heart of everything has got to be, you know, am I happy? Mm. And and I would scrap New Year's resolutions. I would scrap goals to be when I'm 50. You'll go through a midlife crisis as well. And you just sit there and say, what the point? What sort of, what cruel bastards creates humanity just so they can be mm. here for a bit? By the time they've learned all their lessons, they've dropped down to earth. Um, so it's, you know, and now I am just very conscious that every day is a gift and that my job now, having had the success of Child's Farm, um, is to help other women have success in, by giving them guidance and help wherever I can. And I mm. love doing that. I love doing that. And challenging myself. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. we were talking before we came on air about challenges because you're boxing, aren't you? <laughs> I am boxing. <laughs> Exclusive. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. And what drove you? What drove you to suddenly sign up to do a boxing match? Because that's bonkers, yeah. actually. I'm saying, my love. Yeah, I know, right? It is, but is I think I, one of my biggest realizations this year is that. I need a good challenge, you know, I need a good challenge to stretch myself, you know, so I'm always kind of looking for something that's outside of my comfort zone. And so the boxing, when I was actually something that I thought I'd challenge myself with when I turned 40 earlier this year, I was like, right, for my 40th, I want to do this boxing thing and I want to have this boxing match. I mean, what's the point of throwing a party? Everyone's going to come eat, go home that's it, it's finished. But I wanted to make it memorable. And I couldn't do it at the time because we were moving house, long story. But when it came up again, this opportunity, you do 10 weeks boxing and then there's a charity match at the end. I was like, right, count me in. I've never done boxing before. I don't know what to expect. Please, God, don't let anyone hit me in the face, <laughs> you know? But I'm going to sign up and I'm just going to stretch myself and see <laughs> who I become on the other side of this challenge. So that's why I'm doing the box. And I want to see who I'm, I'm going to conquer myself. As um, I read this quote by Olga, um, who used to be a gymnast, and it really stuck with me. She's like, yeah, Olga, what's her name? Kabut. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, she was like, sports gives you this ability to conquer yourself. That's one of the greatest pleasures of sport. And I was like, wow, I love that idea of conquering myself. So I think unbeknown to me all my life, I've been on a quest of conquering myself in all the different things that I've done. So this is just another new way to conquer myself, <laughs> you know, so... Yes. Why are you doing horse racing, Joanna? I know we um, talked about this offline. Because <laughs> I am absolutely bonkers. I mean, I because I'm sitting here, I should look really smart, but I'm actually, I just, you know, as we said earlier, I'm straight after this, I'm going on a racing horse simulator, mm. um, which is just mental. I'm doing a flat horse race next year and it get exactly the same reasons as you. I mm. wanted to challenge myself and, you know, I'd, all my time at Charles Farm, I'd, you know, I put on a bit of weight. I'd gone through the menopause. I was sitting at my desk the whole time. I wanted to make up for all the lost hours. And so... Um, 
And I thought, oh, this will be fun. It'll be easy. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I then I thought, we have to do a fitness test. And I was reading it and I thought, you are having a laugh. I, I will tell you what is on it. Okay, this will okay, this will make you wince. Exercise ball leg repetitions and holds. So lifting your legs up and down. Okay. <laughs> the plank, hold it for 240 seconds. Jesus. Electric band push to metronome, 120 seconds. Wobble cushion squats. These are two little things that are like jellies. Mm. With your bent or completely squatted down, 240 seconds. If those that can't count, that's four minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, then, um, and then we've got um, 20 squats against the wall on top of a ball and then sit with your legs like that, hold that for four minutes and then do a press-up position and hold for 90 seconds. And then at the end of that, get on the Watt bike and do a three-minute test. I mean, so easy. <laughs> and all of these are in succession. So you do one after the other, after the other, after the other. So mm-hmm. I have started, it's now what, October. I started training about four weeks ago and I'm riding this race in August. And wow. I get a fitness test in November, A, to see if I'm qualified, I, I'm fit enough and a riding test just to check I'm not a complete moron. And if I pass that, I then had to train all through the winter mm. and, you know, ride out as much as I can on any any racehorse I can find. I'm training actually at, at some people called the Baldings who live down the road from me. Mm-hmm. And I start with them until March and then I've got another fitness test in May, so I can do all of that and then still fail the fitness test. Oh, my God. Wow. I mean, that I is intense. I, I do not know at any time in my life I could have done any of, I, you know, one of these things. And mm. now I'm about 1,500 of them. I mean, I'm bonkers. So it is to raise money for charity. And, mm. you know, it, it, the race itself takes place at Goodwood in Chichester in August. And they always, and this is why I really got involved, they always support women and children's charities. So, Mm -hmm. and they make a profound difference. I mean, you know, every time they've done this, they've raised between about 350 and 500,000 pounds. I mean, this is a meaningful amount of money. So if I can sweat, I was going to say sweat a bit, but I'm not. You're going to sweat a lot. (laughs) I'm going to say, I've already been for a 3K run this morning. I'm then going to go on this simulated horse that's like, like a lunatic and then I'm riding my own horse and then tonight we're playing paddle tennis mm-hmm. wow I love that I absolutely love that I will I don't envy you I would not trade with you I will stick to my boxing because the fit the fitness training we're doing is tough but that is a lot tougher a whole lot tougher oh. <laughs> oh, I feel great this is the thing and I'm 53 years old and I'm 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 getting really really super fit which is Mm. you know post-menopause it's really good you Mm -hmm. know and hopefully uh, once this is all done and dusted I'll carry on doing more you know just staying fit staying healthier and you know Mm -hmm. I I love I love that I want to I want to talk about work-life balance I don't actually like the term (laughs) work-life balance (laughs) you know (laughs) But it's the best one I can use to describe what I want to ask you, because obviously on this journey to building this multi-million pound 
business. You were building this business. You had two kids, two young kids um, at the time of the business. And obviously they've grown along the way. And as you've just said, you know, you got the time just sitting at your desk all the time. How did you balance stuff? Did you balance stuff? And how did you just kind of make it all work? Or were there times where you dropped the ball, whether intentionally or unintentionally? And then how did you pick back up from there? Oh, I, I, I mean, I thought I was rubbish. Actually, I felt I worked. I worked every hour that God sends. I mean, mm. because I was the only breadwinner, and because if I didn't, if if the business, I'd, you know, everything I had was in this business. If it didn't succeed, I'd have to start from scratch. And I was doing everything, I suppose, to give my children the best opportunity in life, and also with a means to an end, because I thought, well, then I can have a rest. But I was, I, I worked the whole time. My brain, I've got one of those brains, really frustrating brains that just doesn't shut up. Mm. It's always spinning and thinking. And I, that was just, you know, it, that was my life. It was just always spinning and thinking and always doing. And um, even if we went away and we always go down to Cornwall every year, I would just be working from Cornwall. And so we never really had a holiday. The kids did, but I didn't necessarily. And I mean, I have got a very long suffering boyfriend, Jonathan, Mm -hmm. and I just don't think I could have done half of what I did without him there. The Mm -hmm. kids absolutely adore him. And he has been an absolute godsend. And now I am making up for lost time. But, you know, when you're starting a business, it's all or nothing. Mm. And, you know, I read about these people, again, on LinkedIn who are sort of saying, oh, I, I need to balance my life. Yeah, you do. But don't expect if you're running your own business and you've got shareholders that you're going to be going on holiday three times a year, that you are going to be finishing at half past five. Because, you know, I invest in a lot of businesses and I'm looking for someone who's hungry, mm. who wants to achieve, who has got ambition and is going to put themselves out there. And it's they've got to have some kind of hunger. And, you know, early stage businesses, you don't pay yourself anything. Mm. You know, you're literally eating out of the bins. And that is what running your own business is. And, and it, you know, because if you're, you're giving everything up. Now, I, I was, you know, I, I think I was on the extreme of things because you don't want to be doing this with two small kids and no other support and you're the sole form of income. I mean, that's just nuts. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, what do I wish I'd done differently? I wish I'd taken more exercise because I see the benefits of it now in so much as I can just got clarity of thought. And, you know, I wish I hadn't worked so late in the office. So all I just ended up eating for dinner was packets of Haribo's and ice lollies from the freezer. Hmm. But it is, you know, we do need to, I mean, I'm a huge advocate of of joy in your life and finding that time in your joy, joy of your life. Weirdly for me, though, I loved the thrill of working. I loved the success of it. I loved the challenge, all of that challenge I loved in the same way as I'm loving this challenge to get fit and to do this race. I loved the challenge of getting my product into Tesco's or getting my product into Sainsbury's. That to me held as much achievement appeal. So I don't think work-life balance is doom and gloom. I really don't. I think for a lot of people, myself included, you get what you need 
out of working hard. And that mm. gives you a kick, that gives you your endorphin release, whatever that may be. Um, I wish I'd had more time to spend with my children, you know, and go to various events that they did, which I missed and I can never go back. But annoyingly for them, I'm spending much more time <laughs> with them now. And and I actually was told the other day I wasn't allowed to go to a hockey match. And I said, why not? Because I don't want you there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> teenagers. <laughs> I'm like, okay, um, no, yeah. I have to, no, okay, fine, okay, I've been told. Um, <laughs> Whenever my kids pull something like that, I remind them, I, I point to my belly, I'm like, did you know you were inside here for nine months and I'm the one who carried you for nine months? So, no, they don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. Well, my children are both taller than me. I mean, now they just sort of say, you know, if I ever say something, I'll put you back where you came from. They say, not a hope, not a hope. But I think, yeah, I think there's, I think this, I'm, I'm kind of with you as well. This work-life balancing is always sort of seem like it's, you know, you've got to do it. Otherwise you're, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. No, I think that's, I think that's rubbish. I think everyone is different. Everyone gets their buzz from different things. Mm. Everyone feels satisfied and feels purpose from different things. I am a believer, though, that when you do a job, do it to the best of your ability. Be super conscientious. I always did that. Work my ass off mm-hmm. on every job I ever did because I wanted to be known as someone who did a really good job. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I can't bear people that are kind of lackadaisical and are kind of, oh, 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 can't be honest. You know, don't, don't work for me because I'll get cross. But, you know, mm-hmm. anyone with ambition or desire to do well, doesn't matter what it is. If you're, if you're, you know, if if I was working, I've I've always said that I actually in a previous life must have been a housekeeper because I love having tidy cupboards. But you know, if that's your thing and you get great tidy tidy covers, or you get hospital corners on your sheets, or you can put, you could do an amazing display on the shelf in a supermarket that everyone can see and it sells more products. That is what you're good at, and that's what gives yeah. you a thrill. That that that's what gives you a thrill. I mean, I got, I mean, you know, I like tidy files. Mm. I mean, I, really. I get that. yeah, it gives me pleasure. Tidy cupboard, tidy place. I prefer not to tidy it myself, though. <laughs> I get, I get my cleaner helps. I know. Well, you know, I do like, I like having, I like having files on my computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could spend hours just tidying them up. I mean, mm-hmm. how sad is that? I mean, it used to be physical files. Then it all moved onto the computer. And, and that is just really sad. <laughs> and I used to, when I used to, when we had horses at home, I used to, uh, a, a girl that used to work for us used to say, I like to water the concrete because I wanted the yard to be immaculate. Once we'd done horses, I wanted it all to be immaculate. And I would hose down the concrete and she'd just say, you're so weird. <laughs> it gives me so much satisfaction. I love that. We're all motivated by different things, as you say. I, I wanna I wanna talk about caring for your kids though, because so while you're growing this business, your daughter is Bella's the second one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she's Bella the one that has yeah. eczema. So your first one didn't have eczema, and your second one did, is that right? Yeah. Okay, because I both my girls suffered with really bad eczema um, growing up, and they're still kind of growing out of it now. So I actually know that it was at some points it was hell to live with because people don't yeah. realize. I don't know how extreme it, yours must have been pretty extreme to create child harm out uh, of it. Bella's, right? Bella's was 
ghastly. Yeah. I mean, every nook and cranny was red, raw, and bleeding the whole time. Mm, and the itching, and the itching. Oh my goodness, the itching. Yeah. And the, mm-hmm. you know, when they're tiny, tiny, when they're babies, they just don't know. They just don't get it. They don't understand why it's hurting. Yes. Yeah, and it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Because I think for us, we discovered when my daughter was about four months, she used to have this thing, she used to rub her hands before she went to sleep. And we were like, oh, how cute, she's got this little habit. And then it was only as she got older, we realised, because she was itching, you know, and she didn't know how else to express it. So we went through a whole hell with eczema, steroids, all of that. And I know from the beginning, you kind of said, I'm not going down this alleyway of steroids and I'm going to create something for my child that's going to help other people. What made you what made you do that? Why did you not just, you know, go for the so-called easy solution that the doctors were for, would have probably proposed to you a hundred times like they did to us? Because I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't on the the route the route of the healing because I'd had eczema as a child and I'd been given hydrocortisone and it's that smell it smells like peanuts or something stale peanuts and I saw friends of mine who'd been given hydrocortisone as children and they'd used it all over their faces mm-hmm. and they looked so much older than they were because it's a steroid cream right it takes all the mm-hmm. elasticity out of your skin it's just a topical thing you know my mother was a even though she worked for the nhs was a bit of a hippie and we always relied on natural and alternative remedies to heal us and so you know for me when i'd been little it was all about moisturization and so i knew the same thing would apply to bella but i wanted it you know when i was little it was all blue and white or blue and green and it just looked medicinal and it looked you know all my friends had mating I wanted a matey bubble bath, but I couldn't have a matey bubble bath. And I wanted Bella to have a bubble bath. So I used ingredients I knew that wouldn't irritate. And I used fruit fragrances that they would love. Plus, I decorated them all with pictures of them and their ponies and their pets and things like that. But mm. for me, you know, I I know what it's like from my own mother about working in the NHS. And there are certain things that you just you just have to do because, you know, you're trying to get through as many people as possible. And actually, I questioned what treated my eczema the whole way through my life. And so I had I felt I had a better solution for Bella, but I was just horrified things had not moved on. And mm-hmm. now, you know, and, and, you know, in however long it was, it was, you know, I had her when I was 39, I think, you know, in, in 40 years, nothing had changed. And and so for me, it didn't, you know, the moment I was told it's steroids and I just thought, no, I'm not going to do that because that's, that's not going to help her skin. It's just going to make it paper thin and she's going to hate me for the rest when she's older. And I went down the moisturised, moisturised, moisturised route, which is tried and tested and works. And it's just, you know, slap it all over as often as you can and your skin will lap it up. Absolutely lap it up. You know, use natural fibres in your clothing. Don't use irritating um, laundry detergent. Think about the environment that they're in. And, you know, if you're in a city and you're out and about, moisturise more. Mm. You know, and it, and it's that sort of simple solution. And also using natural and naturally derived ingredients that have been proven over thousands of years. Shea butter, cocoa butter. I mean, they were used by the Egyptians. You know, mm. so, as far as I was concerned, to a certain extent, I wasn't really reinventing the wheel. I was just doing everything that I knew had worked on my skin. And one of those things was not a steroid. Mm. And, and how's Bella now? 
Ex-my-wife. Well, being five foot 11 and towering over <laughs> me like a giant. Her skin is completely resolved. But she's, do you know, my girls, because of Child's Farm, they moisturise every day. Mm. And it's something, it's something that, especially where we live in Northern Europe, we should be encouraging our children to moisturise more. It's, it's a life, it's the largest organ on your body, your skin. Mm-hmm. And we tend not to look after it. And actually, you know, even as I've been sitting here, I've been moisturising my elbows. Mm. but you know we we should be moisturizing more and encouraging them to do it because it makes their skin feel so much better and there's a there's a huge link in young ones as well between eczema and their mental health because children can be mean to other children yes yeah and to to take that out of the equation and to to make them so they have their special pot of moisturizer is 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 really important and you know i would i encouraged all of the um well i just gave them moisturizer to all of the schools that my girls were at so when they're in their classroom they could moisturize whenever they wanted and all their friends did too Mm, mm. you know and they wanted to smell nice they wanted to be fun it was a bit cooler than you know the other stuff that you had it was more Mm -hmm. exciting and it wasn't expensive as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that no, that's so good. And it's and it's so amazing that you've gone down that natural route. As I said, we unfortunately when you get trapped in the steroids, it becomes a trap. It's so hard to come out of it because then the skin flares up and you have to go back and yeah, so it's been a real nightmare, but thank God we're coming out of the other side of it now, you know. So it sounds like they're out, it sounds like they're outgrowing it anyhow, which is fantastic. But this is get them moisturizing as much as possible and use a moisturizer moisturizing bubble bath or a moisturizing body wash get them to wash their body as well because also they're more active now yeah you know don't forget you take them out for football or you take them out for whatever it is that they do get, tell them to go home and they they've been sweaty wash because you don't want to block their pores by leaving that aftermath of sweat mm. can block their pores and cause a flare-up so just mm. get them conscious about it. and it makes them smell less too which i think is a bonus encourage them to keep mm. their skin better by washing after they've been sweaty or dirty you know again we sometimes think oh that they're really dirty do you know what just even just do a wash in the sink just mm. to get those active things and bella you, she had a flare-up a couple of years ago she plays a lot of hockey and she would play hockey and sweat bucket with and leave her shin pads on and wander around the place with her shin pads on and then she got really bad eczema on mm. her um, on her, her lower legs and and i said you've got to when you finish you've got to take everything off and you've got to go and have a shower mm. and it's stopped in i mean it's stopped in a matter of weeks mm. awesome that's a great tip actually um yeah i'm gonna see if i can implement that with the girls because as you said they are more active now so i guess showering multiple times a day and moisturizing during that as well will help okay awesome awesome um okay so i really want to because the show is called start being visible i want to just switch gears as we round up at the talk about visibility really and how if at all that has played a part in your rise to the top because it is a rise to the top but um first of all that how do you define the word visible what does that mean to you to me it's it's about being heard mm-hmm. it's about being heard and it's it's you know so often and I find this with women as well is that people don't want to speak up because they don't want to be they don't they don't want to make a fool of themselves they don't want to say the wrong thing and 
and and yet we have we have a lot of insight and we're hugely capable. And so for me, visibility is about being heard, being seen and heard. Because if we're not, what matters to us is being ignored, potentially ignored. Um, and I would encourage anyone to question everything. God, I can see all these teachers in schools going, shut up. <laughs> but question everything. When you go to the doctor, ask the question because it gives us confidence knowing that we are conscious and aware. And then it gives us the opportunity to speak up for others who are who feel invisible. But for me, it's about, so, which is why I do the um, Buy Women Built stuff and why I mentor uh, female-founded businesses, because I think so many women running businesses just don't feel that their voice or their opinion matters, that they're not being heard, that they're not visible. And I want to change that. And I want to give them the aids to help them feel that they can be more visible, but also to help them to be more visible. Um, because otherwise, these, these these brilliant businesses, these brilliant women, these brilliant achievers will just be lost. And that's mm. just wrong. And everyone has something to say. And, and we have to teach ourselves to listen. Mm. Because if we listen, we learn. And I, there's a there's a, a, a great um, there's a great book, uh, and I, I think it's called Everyone, Everyone's an Idiot or something. And it and what it talks about is something called a, a process called insights, which you can get in a lot of businesses these days, particularly when you're going for a new job. And it's it breaks us down into four things: we're blue, red, yellow, or green. And in a summary, red is is directors, aggressive, know what they're doing. Blue is thinkers. Um, yellow is more creative and green is more empathetic human so typically the reds take over the world because they're the shouty loud people i'm a, I'm a red mm. not <laughs> and then the greens and the reds and to certain extent the yellows are less on the back foot and and you know for an example i'll say what do you think and and a red would say yeah go for it a blue might say i'm gonna have to go away and think about it can i get back to you in the morning and that understanding how different people think about different things neither is right nor wrong it's just a way that people's brains work and understanding that again allows people to be more visible it's i always say one of the first things you should do when you hire someone is sit down with them and say right how do you like to be managed Mm. how do I get the best out of you? And that's going to make them more visible in what they do, as opposed to not asking that question and managing them in the way that you manage absolutely everybody else. Because mm. everybody needs to be treated as an individual. Mm. And, you know, and I, it took me years to learn this, years to learn it. I thought everyone was like me and that they just, you know, it didn't matter what you said to them. They'd just say, oh, right, okay, got your boss, I'm off, I'll do it. And I didn't realise that people went away and they just sort of said, oh, my God, that's my confidence is completely shattered because I manage people how I had been managed yeah which is somewhat old school now so that that kind of is for me it's 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 letting those that don't feel they've got a voice be heard mm. wow that's I love that that's powerful that is absolutely powerful and I guess that's one of the benefits of being in business so long and the life experience that you've had it's growing and learning all these different things and now you're in a place where you can pass it on to other women which is amazing which is what you're doing with your time so thank you for sharing that you know so what is next for you Joanna I mean you 
instead of, I, I'm sure you're not sitting at home gardening, you know, because you've retired yourself from your business. But what is next for you? Is there, is there a new business around the corner? Are you just going to take life easy a little bit or what's happening for you next? So, um, oh, so much on the agenda. Um, I want to continue working with female founded businesses. So I'm investing in some and I'm mentoring others and I absolutely love it. And I want to carry on doing that. Um, I'm obviously still working at Child's Farm probably for about another 18 months now, which is great fun. But I've got to work out what it is I'm going to do after that. I am just about to start writing a book, um, which is, I thought, oh, that's going to be really easy. Oh, my goodness. Let's throw another challenge into the cauldron of challenges, shall we? But that is just really what I want to do, share my parts of my journey and to offer those shortcuts to other female founders who are looking to work into consumer brands. Um, and, And really then wait to see what the kids want to do. I've got Mimi's nearly 18. She's going to go off to university or might not don't know so at some stage either one of them or both of them is going to open up their own business and I want to get involved in that but so right now I had to say my days are action-packed and um someone said to me the other day what do you do all day and I just looked at them I gave them that withering Paddington hard stir which just basically said how dare you <laughs> and I said actually I'm I'm phenomenally busy um doubly certain moment as I try to hit my fitness goals but so it's all going to be around female founders passing things on working with charities that can help mean that we can help others I'm going to continue working uh, with British Paralympics which I love 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 and because again they are other men and women who overcome everything to be brilliant and every time I look at them I think what's your excuse Mm. because they just they just do things in spades and brilliantly and yeah I better go and do some more push-ups on the in light of that but there we go but thank you so so much for having me I love talking to you you're an absolute joy and an inspiration thank you so much um, for being here Joanna Um, it is it has been a great pleasure you've been absolutely amazing and we've learned so much from you so thank you thank you and we look forward to seeing what's next from you in the new chapter of your life thank you take care now You've been listening to the Start Be Invisible podcast with me, Mildred Talavi. If you're a female leader or a woman in business and you're ready to start your own journey to be invisible on LinkedIn and beyond, get in touch with me via LinkedIn or reach out to me through my website at startbeinvisible.com. Now, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your way out and I'll see you next week for another five episodes.